Good morning. My name is Mary Lipscomb. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, and um, um, I today the barbecue is being put on by CR, and they wanted me to kind of tell you about my experience with CR. So basically, about six, eight years ago, um, I was going to church, going through all the motions, um, but my I had no relationship with God. It was it was just barren, and I knew I had to do something. Um, and so I had a friend that said, hey, you know, come to CR. And I went. And uh, I had no idea what I was getting into. It just uh, happened. And I was stunned to find a whole bunch of people that were just awesome. And I was, it was a safe pace, place to be heard. Um, I was able to um, just get rid of all the things that I was carrying and get closer to God. And... Uh, the reality is change happens in relationship. And so I was thankful for that. And now I'm thankful to be part of CR now here at Life Community. So today at the barbecue, I would just encourage you to speak to somebody about it. If, if you want to get closer to God, if you want God to change your life, the, it's a great place to have that happen. So this morning, um, this is, uh, I get the privilege of reading our verses. Luke 9:57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Praise be to God as we gather and open his word. We're in uh, kind of a second week of Luke 9 as we look at this chapter and, and seeing Jesus breaks down four times where their faith essentially freezes or pauses. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing more irritating when computers began to be more prevalent in homes uh, and Apple would, would appear randomly in a few homes, mainly it was Windows. But Apple, you'd get on there and, and all of a sudden this colorful wheel would, would appear and the computer would stop and it would freeze and the wheel would just spin. And so we, we coined it the spinning wheel of death. And it was this just pause where everything's working, everything's going, and all of a sudden it was just not. And now it's a joke with Zoom, right? I saw this thing where they had four frames and they're introducing these numbers and figures and like, yeah, I've been doing a ton of research and the numbers show. And then the, and then the next guy's like, oh, I'll take it from here. And he jumps in and starts explaining and then he freezes. And, and we see these pauses. And sometimes it's helpful. Maybe you're watching a movie with, with your kids or... Uh, a scene comes and, and you know it's getting to the climax of this just movie and thriller and you have to go to the bathroom, right? And you, you wish there was a pause button in the movie theater. Like at sometimes you're like, okay, I paid good money. I've been waiting five hours for Lord of the Rings, but I have to go. Like I've been holding it, squirming. I got to go. Can we pause? Nope. Okay. I missed it. But here we see throughout the wrap up of this chapter, there's these pauses in the disciples' faith. There's pauses in our faith. Some people find themselves doubting God. We get it. Occasionally there's doubts, and oftentimes it's not that I'm doubting God, it's I'm doubting myself. 
Because I know the me that no one sees. I know the voice in my head that I'm glad no one else hears. At times I feel like everyone is thinking that, and as I've grown older, I'm like, oh, that's just me. I'm, I'm the only one. Sometimes it's small, like something I, I don't like what I said, and other times it's I don't like how I said it, and, and the worst of all is I don't like what I just did. And we see that most people don't think that, view us that way, or know those things about us, but God knows all of my faults. He knows those faults and he loves me. And I can't imagine, knowing the fact that he loves me, I can't imagine that he would still choose to use me. If you've ever felt insecure, inadequate, desperate, insufficient, this message is for you. The rest of us, the rest of you, those maybe who are confident, assured, straight A student, best of the best, top of the class, there's good news, God can still use you. God specializes in using people who know they need his presence. And God's grace, even for people like Gideon, who don't yet know they fully can trust him, God brings them along to see that it's his presence and his power and authority through his spirit that's necessary to accomplish his purpose. So as we see the bottom line here, as we look at these four things, is by measuring God's limits by our unbelief, we pause our faith. And we can quickly move from belief into this unbelief with, with our doubts or our questions, and all of a sudden, we're measuring God's limits. And we, we put limits on God. This limitless God all of a sudden has limits because of our unbelief, and our faith is then paused. And so Jesus just got to experience feeding 5,000, casting legion of demons out last week, and then you see the storm calmed and, and Peter proclaims Jesus as the Christ. And you think, man, this is just going good, 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 good. And, and then here, or a couple weeks ago in, in chapter 8, and then here we see all of a sudden their faith is paused. And they take him up. The first thing we see is that God chooses the overlooked. And he takes Peter, James, and John up on the mount for transfiguration. They see Jesus. And then the second thing is we see that God remains faithful in our failures. And the third thing we see that God models humility and tolerance. And the fourth thing is Jesus will explain the cost of following him. So the first point we see in verses 28 through 36 is God chooses the overlooked. He, he chooses Peter, James, and John. Young guys, not chosen to follow a Pharisee path or a Sadducee or religious leadership. And he takes them up. Out of the 12, he takes them up on the mountain and they, they see in their sleep, they, they come awake, it says, as they were kind of dozing off. In verse 29, Jesus was praying. The appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. In verse 30, the two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. So all of a sudden, they see Jesus' face change, his, his clothes change. Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus. And in verse 33, in, in, in the emotion of it, and the excitement of it all, Peter says, hey, let's build a tent. We should all just stay here. And the cloud comes, and they're terrified. They don't want to enter it. In verse 34, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid 
as they entered the cloud. Interesting thing here we see that years later, Peter will give an eloquent retrospect regarding to this experience in 2 Peter because of what happens next. What happens next is the same thing that happened as Jesus came out of the water at his baptism. The same voice is heard in verse 35. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. In some manuscripts, this is my son, my beloved son. Listen to him. And Peter accounts in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. These three overlooked. God chose them to see and experience this emotional, not just seeing what he's done for other people, but seeing who he really is, that they saw him receive honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So Peter's not recounting the baptism, he's recounting the transfiguration when Jesus took them up on the mount and, and revealed his glory. The Father spoke, confirming this isn't just a, a dream. This is really Jesus. He's really God, fully God, fully man. And the vision never faded. But it was the anchor for their soul. It was the, the rudder directing them. And the same thing will happen to us if we let the truth of who God is and his word and God's glory fill our souls and, and guide us. Verse 33, that voice of the Lord, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. God spoke. God spoke another time in the Old Testament when, when Samuel the prophet went to go see the Lord's anointed and who was going to be the next king. And when Samuel shows up, he looks at David's older brother, super handsome, strong, and big. And First Samuel 16 says, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. In verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't look at his appearance. Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, 1 Samuel 16. God loves those to use. God loves to use those who are overlooked by others. And he chose these disciples. He chose these three to come and see who he really is, to encourage them, to embolden them. And then it says in verse 36, when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they'd seen. So in the, in the emotion and excitement of it all, Peter's like, hey, we should build some tents. And about that time, M Moses and Elijah, they disappear, and Jesus is like walking down the mountain. Like, no, we're, we already, we had this moment on the mountain, the cloud was there, confirmed who Jesus was, and we're moving on. And they, they left the mountaintop experience. Now, we, we don't live for the mountaintop experiences, but we shouldn't live without them either. That was a key moment to say, hey, this is who God is. And like when, when the Lord led Samuel to say, hey, this is who God's appointed, David, but it's not yet. There's still time. He's got to go watch sheep and, and mature and grow. And you're like, why? Why was there that gap? And similarly with Jesus, 
Here's who I am. I'm God, but I still have to go suffer. I still have to go serve. I have to go die. There's still a process that's going to unfold. This is just to encourage you through the pain, through the process, to, to know who I am. And God uses those who are overlooked. So if you feel overlooked this morning, God's purpose and plan is to use you. And he's going to reveal himself to you in ways that so often are not expected and can, can be either dismissed or, or missed. And we see next that God remains faithful in our failures. As they come down, the next day when they had come down the mountain, there's a great crowd that, that meets him. And we see that God remains faithful in our failures. God's glory is revealed above, and then it's revealed below. Luke wants us to consider the majesty above and the majesty below together belong to Christ. So Jesus is the same God who's on the mountain that he is down in the valley. When they come down, we see the gospel picture here. When the demon sees the boy in Mark 9 and Luke 9, and then we see it it continue in Luke 9, 39, the child screams, and this demonic spirit throws him to the ground in convulsions so that he foams at the mouth in Luke 9. In Mark 9, it tells us that he grinds his teeth, and become stiff as a board. And many times he'd been cast into fire or water by the evil spirit, Matthew 17 tells us. So this man's son is getting destroyed, like day by day, action by action, even the the grinding of his teeth. The demon has taken over this boy's body, and, and the man has tried everything. He's looked for every possible healing, but there's a spirit in him that he can't, he can't fix this problem. Many times in Matthew 17, it says that the demon would cast the boy into fire or water by the evil spirit. So he comes up, in Mark 9, it says the boy comes up with scars. Even worse, the spirit has made him deaf and dumb. I mean, this, this boy is completely the picture of just tragedy and the victim. And you see that finally... They've heard all the stories about the disciples casting demons out and and they go to see Jesus and Jesus isn't there. Okay, cool, but at least the disciples are here. And the disciples just got back from their missionary journey casting demons out of people. He sends out the 12 in the beginning of Luke 9. Last week we looked and they were casting demons and curing disease. And all of a sudden they're like, perfect. We're gonna, man, we're gonna tell Jesus we healed this worst of the worst cases. Like, we're going to do this thing. It's going to be great. Only they don't. And what's more amazing here is so many people stop there. Your faith is paused. You came to get healing and it didn't happen and you were hurt again by the church or by a Christian or by somebody. Oh, life's hard. I got hurt. Pause my faith. I'm done. I'm checking out. But the Father doesn't stop. The father's like, all right, well, you guys couldn't figure it out. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to go to Jesus. I'm going to go to Jesus. So whatever caused Jesus' emotion to, to just swell here, it's clear that the root, the disciples were powerless, was their unbelief. Their faith was paused also. Because they said, all right, hey, this is how we've done it before. We're just going to stick to this method. And God wants to purify our minds until we can bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things, and God dwells in you. 
But you can't have his divine power until you live and walk in the Holy Spirit. Until the power of the new life is greater than the old life. And the Holy Spirit here is kind of seen in, in a way because they're, they're going back and depending on the flesh. They're depending on a method that worked maybe a few days ago but isn't working today. And, and they're forgetting it's the Holy Spirit that they need. And they haven't been sealed with because the resurrection didn't happen yet. So their failure was not because they didn't try. It wasn't because they said, hey, we'll get back to you later and got distracted. They did their best. But the problem was they, they suddenly moved from trust in God to faith in the, the method, not the message, not Jesus, to faith in themselves. They cast out demons before, but the evidence here is the lack of prayer, as Jesus notes in Mark's account, Mark 9. This one comes out by prayer and fasting, Jesus says. True prayer is an act of faith and vital, authentic faith, believing in God to work, to act. And it exists only in a life of perpetual dependence of prayer. Fixing your eyes continually on God, allowing your belief to grow in how he's going to work. How quickly we drift. Jesus' indictment was a blanket indictment. He says, In verse 41, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. So it's this, not just disciples, but everyone. You, you don't get it. Your faith is on pause. Just unpause it. Believe in me. Just pray to me. Why are you trying to just say things or do things and expect it to work? If it's not, just pray to me. Just trust in me. It's about Jesus. It's not about disciples or their method it's Jesus who gave them the power and authority, so they should go back to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, we can't figure this out. I, I have a problem. Last time I did this and it, it worked, it's not. Help me. We see that when we measure God's limits by our unbelief, we pause our faith. Our faith gets paused when we go, hey, here's the limits, God. Work on these constraints. God is the limitless God. And he can do all things, and he wants to use all people. He desires all people to be saved. And so we see that Jesus says, hey, bring him here. And so verse 42, while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground, convulsed him, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Again, Jesus cares for the father and the son and he gives him back and he and he lovingly teaches everyone he's not rebuking oh disciples that's it you failed that was your one test i leave for a day you guys just can't have me gone at all like you're done i can't use you i gotta get more jesus god where's the next you know is there the triple a disciples bring them up to the big leagues like we got we gotta get rid of these guys that are dropping the ball they just can't pitch anymore. I got to get a new pitcher in here. The guy's warming up in the bullpen. Like, where's the next group? These guys are blowing it. How long? How long? I've been with you two plus years, three years. How many more days? How many more years? And you're going to get, you've seen it all. You've heard it all. Why won't you trust me? I'm Jesus. Why don't you believe in me? You're trusting in yourselves again. When you, we measure God's limits by our unbelief, we pause our faith. Our faith should be that continual gaze as our belief grows in his unlimitless power and his amazing purpose we can't fathom. 
And the amazing thing is, he goes on, and the third thing we see is, first, he chooses those overlooked. And second, we see that God, in his grace and just marvelous love, he remains faithful in our failures. And the third thing we see here is that he models humility and tolerance. He models humility and tolerance in this beautiful way as he foretells his death. In verse 40, the end of 43, while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus says to his disciples, so everyone's amazed that this boy's been healed. He still has the scars of his past. He still has the hurts of what happened and what path he was led on that a demon would take control of his body. That's still a reality. And so many Christians want to talk about the past. Oh, did you hear about this guy and what they were doing in the back? I had a buddy I hadn't seen for years. And he came to me and was like, oh, this other church and this other guy and the sin that they did. You're like, how did you, what? We all want to focus on that. And here everyone's marveling that Jesus just undid all of the pain, all of the sin, all of the punishment of, of what they were living in from those poor decisions, Jesus undid that. They're marveling at that. And Jesus says, that's not the purpose. I didn't come to have an exorcism ministry. The point was I was going to come and undo the pain of sin, the curse of sin for all of humanity. So he says, hey, that's cool. You're, you're, you're smiling at that. Check this out. Verse 44. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered in the hands of men. He tells them again. The second time they did not understand this saying, and it was concluded from them so that they it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about the saying. So people think, oh, maybe they were just confused, or maybe it was literally hidden from them. I think they truly were going, Hey, this is guy, this is the guy that we've been waiting for the warrior king who's going to overtake the political. Roman Empire and establish his kingdom. So how is this? This is probably one of those metaphorical things. This is one of those crazy things. And I can't explain why lights are moving right now, but it's one of those things. It's like, I'm not going to ask questions. I'm just going to keep preaching. And so these guys are like, I don't know. He just says weird stuff sometimes. Usually he explains it later over dessert, hopefully, maybe over dinner. I think we're we getting burritos tonight. I don't know. I think that probably, you know, they're humans. They're like, yeah, that's a pretty gnarly thought. He's going to die. Man, that's going to be interesting. But he'll probably do some kind of Iron Man, last-ditch effort thing and just escape. Like, he'll probably figure it out. You know, he's, he's, he's Jesus. A storm couldn't kill him. I don't think, you know, all these demonic people he keeps, seems to have under control. He's got to figure it out. And so the next thing is they start arguing about who's greater. And as we saw over Passover, in, in that context... It wasn't so much a pride thing. It was more figuring out who's going to sit in the in the seating chart. Like, where's our seat, and, and what is our role here? But here, Jesus, as they're arguing about who's the greatest, Jesus knows in verse forty-seven the reason in their hearts, and he takes a child, and he puts the child by his side, and and this is the example of of him again, this humility, guys. You're you're putting your faith on pause. You're, you're looking at an org chart instead of the purpose and the power and the authority that I've come to display as the servant king. And you're, you're, you're to take people as you take a child who's, who's brushed off in society, marginalized, looked down upon, and you're to welcome them. You're not to overly honor them. 
Because some people do that, right? You, you take kids places and, and in the restaurant, oftentimes you see that where it's like, hey, there's, I just saved up money for like three years. I'm going to drop a good amount of money on this dinner with my wife. It's a nice, relaxing meal. And all of a sudden, there's like 30 kids running around, you know, flicking my ear, spit wads. And it's like, hey, you've overly honored these kids. And, and you've done that before as parents. You're like, okay, probably shouldn't have spent $20 on her cheese quesadilla that she didn't eat. Like, I've done that before. It's like, really? We went to Jack's and that's, you like pull the piece of pulled pork out. That's it. All you wanted was the, the cranberry turkey sandwich at the Templeton Market. Like we could have just done that. That's, oh man, I overly honored the child. And, and we do that. We look at people who are supposed to be elected to serve us and we overly honor them. And Jesus is saying, look, take all people, especially the least of these. These kids are looked down upon in our society, but welcome them, as he says in verse 48. Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. He is flipping everything upside down and saying, guys, unpause your faith. Listen, I've been talking to you about this. I've been showing you what it looks like to humble yourself and serve one another. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I should do that. And then the next thing is they're like looking around going, man, got to measure God's limits again by my unbelief. And we pause our faith like the disciples do because who, who's not a part of Life Community Church or who's out there doing something different? And, and they do the same thing. They look around, they go, hey, Jesus, did you hear about Frank over there? Frank's out there casting G demons out in your name. I wonder if there's a little bit of sore subject casting demons out because they just couldn't do that for this poor boy. <laughs> you know, and they're like, hey, what's Frank doing? He's doing the job we were supposed, is he not, Jesus, he's not one of the 12. He can't be doing that. And Jesus says, look, it's my name. My name has the power. If, if he's using my name, if he's giving glory and honor to my name, he says this, don't, in verse 50, don't stop him for the one who is not against us the one who's not against you is for you. Jesus is always about unity. He's humbly saying there's, there's tolerance. He, yeah, he wasn't the 12, but he's focusing on Jesus and he's using his name for glorifying Jesus' name. And then they go to this, this village and, and they're rejected there. Verse 51 through 56, and the disciples again put limits on God. And they're like, hey, we're going to call fire down from heaven. And you know where they got that from? The Old Testament, right? Elijah. They were just hanging out with him on the mountain. And guaranteed, Peter was like, let's build a tent. And maybe, hey, it says the people did not receive him. And then James and John, the sons of thunder, rightfully named, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and kill him? <laughs> it's like, wait, what? We just told you. Guys, how long are you going to try and put limits on this thing? You just tried to get these guys kicked out of being disciples and stop casting demons out. You just were arguing about who's the greatest. You're, you're, you're trying to build tents from... How long have I been with you? I haven't stayed in a town more than a couple nights, and you want to build a tent? Peter, you're a fisherman. How are you going to build a tent? You're good at nets. Like, what? Think about this for a minute. And we do as, dis, as disciples, as followers of Christ, so quickly. Wait, how did I get here? How did I get... Oh, I started to put limits on God. I, God did this one thing for me at this one time, and I think this is how he'll always act towards me. We measure God's 
limits by our unbelief, and all of a sudden our faith is paused. And, and that's when we start to doubt. And that's when we start to become more and more insecure. And here is the most wonderfully and, and challenging as he's like, guys, no, we're not going to do that. Let's just keep moving. Which is a great reminder for us, just keep moving. And the fourth thing here we see is that Jesus explains the cost. And I love these remarks because at first glance, you're like, wait a minute, this, this isn't as easy as I thought. All the other disciples just got to stop fishing and follow Jesus. Which if you've ever been fishing and you haven't catch anything, you're like, yes, sign me up. Where, when's Jesus going to come get me off this boat? I've been here for hours with no fish. Let's go. I'd rather be somewhere else doing, oh, heal people, raise people from the dead, cast demons out. Yeah, that's, that's way better than just sitting here, not catching anything. First couple hours are great, and then not so much. So Jesus is walking by in verse 57 as we read, and someone yells out, I'll follow you wherever you go. We've heard that before, right? Yeah, Jesus, sure. Free tri-tip sandwiches. I'm coming to church. What? Okay, that's cool. That's fun. That's Yeah, hey, I'll follow you. Sure. There's no commitment. It's lip service. There's no heart behind it. There's no real action behind it. There's no transformation. And so Jesus gently but honestly says, hey, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you, do you really want to go with me? Because we're just moved. There's no earthly kingdom here. My, my kingdom is not of this world. And my kingdom is going to be established here. It's in people, but it's the new earth and the new heavens. It's going to be great. But are you really, you're willing to go? Because the crucial question here is, when he asks about this, he's saying, suppose I were to lead you towards work in which your income would be lower. Are you really going to follow me there when I cut your income in half? Is that really something you're going to follow me into? And the next person says, 59, to another he said, follow me, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now what he's not saying is that we're not to attend a funeral of a loved one, or he's not saying don't go to a funeral of an unbeliever. He's, he's simply saying, let the dead bury the dead, in verse 60. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He's saying, look, when I call you to go, there are always going to be reasons not to go. When I call you to speak, there's always going to be reasons not to speak. And, and they're good reasons, humanly speaking. And here's the other question. Suppose I were to ask you to do something for me, which according to most people of your class and background is not simply done. Are you going to go? Are you going to do the thing that I've called you to do when it's not culturally appropriate? Missing the funeral of a father, that's pretty big. Like, I don't know if your mom's going to forgive you for that. I don't know. That's pretty, like, hey, I got to go. But it, when you think about the commitment, when a National Guard, a military, CIA, someone signs up, there's that, there's that release. There's that commitment. Hey, when I call, you're going no matter what. You're, and if you die, you're not going to be commemorated. Your, 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 your time of death, your location, the reason, none of that shared with family. It's, it's not. And this is your commitment to Christ. Or is your commitment to the government or your nation more than Christ? Jesus is putting it out there. He's like, yeah, I'm going to the cross. Are you going to follow me? Because you're going to take up your cross daily. You're going to be marked as a follower of me, which means they're going to want to kill you because you say my name. Because you live for me. And we see in Ephesians 2.10, Paul 
is, is applying this. He says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 61 says, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. In verse 62, Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Meaning you can't have your heart divided. When, when we read in Ephesians 2 that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, we should walk in them. Walking in them, keeping our eyes fixed forward on his kingdom, not looking back at the cares of this world, not looking back at, at family and saying, well, actually, that's a priority. And man, when I get that season done, then I'll, I'll get my hand back on the plow. And then I'll look to what God's called and prepared me to do. No, it's focusing on him, fixing your eyes on him, and unpausing your faith, trusting God that he's going to provide for your family. He's going to provide for your needs. He created you. He put that heart in you. He put that passion in you. And he's going to supply the needs to accomplish it. Is your faith on pause this morning? Let's look to God and have him unpause our faith and be ready to walk in the way that Jesus made us to walk. Because great faith is the product of great fights. When you're facing a spiritual battle, that's where your great faith has to be active. And your faith must be fixed on God as he causes your belief in him, your trust in him to grow. And great testimonies that we hear are the result of a great test. No one has a great testimony of just being born in a church and living in the church their whole life. There's no monk that has a great testimony of their time being secluded in isolation. Jesus wasn't a monk. He didn't say, okay, everyone, just abandon your responsibilities on this earth and go live in a cave. That was never his message. Every time the disciples tried to say, hey, who's the chosen? Who are the few? He's like, uh, the whole world, come on. Accept the kids, accept the marginalized, accept the outcast, and don't over-inflate your expectation on the popular people or the people that are elected. Don't trust in them more than me. Great triumphs can only come out of great trials. Who do you think you are? You're not ready. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. Think about it. If God didn't want to use you, the devil wouldn't be fighting so hard against you. If God didn't want you in his service, loving his people, leading them to Jesus, Satan wouldn't be bothering you. The flesh is hard, and it's always tempting, but the enemy's always there attacking as well. You may not have a lot of confidence in yourself. Good. You know that Latin word? Confidence, our English word that comes out of that Latin word, con fide. Con means with, and fide means faith. So with faith, you, you shouldn't have faith in yourself. You should have faith in God. Real confidence is when you put your faith in God and God's promises to you. What he's already done in you and promised to continue to do through you. Peter was about to learn this. God often used uses the least to do the most. We see that God chose the overlooked time and time again, all the way from David to the fishermen. He's like, I'm gonna choose the foolish things of this world that confound the wise. Paul later looks back on what Jesus did and is like, yeah, he chose the marginalized. There's no reason he should have chosen them, but he did to use them. We see next, God remained faithful in our failures. We mess up a lot. We miss opportunities. 
And Jesus is saying, yeah, because it doesn't depend on you. It depends on me. The message, the person is Jesus. It's not us. We're the messenger. And sometimes we trip. Sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we're distracted. Refocus our gaze of faith on Jesus. Because God models the humility and the tolerance we're to have and say, okay, there's other people that God's using. There's other things I might not always understand or agree, but I trust that if they're proclaiming Jesus, then it's okay. And Jesus calls the cost and says, it's going to cost everything. Are you willing to follow still? Are you really going to follow through? And we see that this, if nothing else, was to Peter and for us. Because if we remember right after Jesus was arrested, he's taken before the high priest. Peter sits down with some people by a fire, warming their hands up. And this sweet little girl is like, hey, I remember you. He's like, no, you don't. I've never seen you before. And she's like, yeah, you're with Jesus. He's like, no. And then he freaks out and yells. And everyone else is like, geez, dude, this guy's, he's probably been drinking too much. He's been hitting, I don't know, he's got to calm down. Why is he so mad at that sweet girl? Peter replies in verse 60, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. In verse 61, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Luke 22. The third time, a guy comes up to him and asks him, and he says, ah, man, I don't know. And that's, boom, rooster crows, Jesus looked Done. Done. Like an arrow or a spear piercing his heart. His soul must have just melted. Have you ever blown it? Like big time? Ashamed, embarrassed, totally feeling unworthy. Might have been a public failure, maybe losing your temper. You said things you shouldn't. You just prayed in the morning, I'm not going to lose my temper with my kids. I'm not going to yell at them. And then right after they come home from school, you blow it. And you're like, ah, four hours, six hours ago. I just, why'd I take it back? You made a bad financial decision. You lied. You hurt someone that's close to you. You've been battling addiction. There's these private failures maybe that no one knows about. It's secret, but it's weighing you down and you haven't yet given it to Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. And what did Jesus come back out of the grave. It was, he didn't rise again from the grave to go punch Peter in the face and say, you loser, he betrayed me. He rose to give us new life. And as he came to Peter, he says, look, the new life is for you too, Peter. I'm out of the grave. I'm not dead. Jesus loved Peter, forgave Peter. He asked him three times, do you love me? Yes, okay, I forgive you, Peter. In fact, God chose Peter to preach at Pentecost boldly proclaiming the gospel of forgiveness. And he said this in Acts 2, 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the message. Jesus is the name by which all men are to be saved. He says, look, it's all about Jesus. Just repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then you can do all I've commanded you. Then you can do what Jesus said to do. Then you can live a new life. But here we saw Peter say, you're the Christ. And then days later, pausing faith, pausing faith, pausing faith, failing, failing, not understanding it. We can't go live like Jesus unless we have God's spirit in us. Those who accept his message were baptized in verse 41, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Who 
better to preach about forgiveness than the one who'd been forgiven much. God uses people who fail. There aren't any other types around. We've all failed. We all have our excuses. Jacob was a cheater. Miriam was a gossip. Moses was a murderer. David had an affair. Jonah ran from God. Elijah was depressed. Martha was a warrior. Thomas was a doubter. Paul killed Christians. Are you feeling pretty good about yourself right now? Because you should, by human terms. And this is what non-Christians and the church talks about, right? We're all guilty of overhearing or being a part of a conversation. Oh, did you hear what so-and-so did? Oh, did you hear about that? Oh, Oh, did you hear Jacob was a cheater? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not reading this anymore. I'm not going to talk about it. Did you hear that David slept with Bathsheba? Yeah, we're not going to read this anymore. There's nothing good and God is powerless. He can't. Here's my limits for God. And he, Jonah, yeah, one of the amazing guys we're supposed to speak, he ran from God. I'm not, no. That's who you were. Who's God making you? Have we really let our insecurities cause our doubts to put our faith on pause. God wants to use you. In fact, as your pastor, I want to give you the opportunity to say, okay, Holy Spirit, where are you putting me to work? What ministry have I just not been able to get out of my heart and my mind? Where do I need to step up and serve? Is it kids? Is it youth? Is it on the security and safety team? Is it on the setup or teardown? Is it helping do a church family barbecue lunch so we can have more relationships and connection points? Because likely you feel insecure. Maybe you feel too bad to serve. And the devil wants you to feel that way. And God will tell you, no, in Christ, you're new. The Holy Spirit's going to empower you. And the devil wants to keep you in your seat or at home, not here. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. The ambassador of the Most High God, a masterpiece, his workmanship. God works. God prepared in advance for you to do those good works, for you to walk in them. That's why the church is so anemic, is because we're not walking in the good works God prepared for us to do because we don't feel equipped, because we're not listening to the Holy Spirit, we're not praying in the Spirit, we're not asking God, how have you gifted me? Where have you called me to go? I'm gonna fail, sure, but I'm gonna focus my faith on you, Jesus, and allow you to be the message, allow you to be the Savior, not me. Stop doubting yourself. When you doubt yourself, you're really doubting God. As we close, I want to remind us of this way that when we don't doubt God, but we have our faith in God, only God-type works happen. Six people went into a house of a sixth man to pray for him. It was actually a priest, and they, he laid in his bed, utterly helpless, didn't have the strength to move. And, and he read this track about um, how he could be healed. And so he prayed that prayer, according to James 5.14, and people came and prayed, but because he had no immediate healing, he wept unconsolably and bitterly. And then these six people came and prayed for him, and, and after that, there was no immediate healing, so they walked out of the room. And when they were outside, one of the guys said, hey, stop, we need to go, we need to go back in. We need to go. There's one thing we didn't do, and so they went back in and they listened. He said, let us whisper the name of Jesus. Just whisper the name Jesus. And at first when they whispered this name of power and authority over sickness and death and demons and destruction, 
Nothing seemed to happen at first, but as they continued to whisper, Jesus, 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 the power began to fall and they saw that God was working. And their faith and joy increased as they whispered the name louder and louder. As they did so, the man arose from the bed and dressed himself. And the secret was just those six people who'd gotten their eyes off of the sick man who got their eyes off of the limits they put on God. And they said, there's this verse in James 5 that says if we do this thing, then you'll be healed. When they got their eyes off the method and they focused on the message, when they got their eyes back on Jesus, their faith was unpaused. And they were just able to see the Lord Jesus himself and their faith was grasped the power, and the power alone that's in Jesus' name. And if we would appreciate that power and understand the authority in just Jesus' name, there's no telling what would happen. If we would focus on Jesus and Jesus' name, and as I was reading that story, some of you, you get this, others of you are like, that's just a pastor being. But on Spotify, randomly, this song starts to play, Jesus, the only name I know. And I, I couldn't help but just, that was a gift. I was like, wow, God, I, you're sovereign of all things, all time, all places. And as I'm reading that story, this song plays over and over and over. Jesus, the only name I know. The only name I know. There's so many things we know. There's so many concerns. There's so many what ifs. There's so many doubts, limits we put on ourselves. But if we just say, Jesus, the only name I know that when I say the name demons flee, when I say the name sickness runs, not every single time, but we know there's power and authority and what an amazing reminder and what comfort for us when, when we're, we're, we're worried or we're scared, what promise that he's gifted and called us to do the work he's planned and prepared for us so we just walk in it. You're not what you did. You're not what they think you did. You're not what they say about you and you're not what you think about you. You know, if you're truly amazing, best of the best, most perfect and holy, God can still use you. But the amazing thing is God prefers to use the rest of us who don't have flowery, detailed prayers, who can just say the name Jesus. Isn't that amazing? We don't need to say this amazing thing or raise our hand or, or roll down the altar. We just have to say, Jesus, save me. And he will. All through the Old Testament, the gospel was preached. You're gonna die if you don't know Jesus, except Jesus. Okay, Jesus, my life's changed because it's their heart, it's not their words. God can still use you. He prefers to use the rest of us who need him, who call on his name for salvation. So I wanna put that out for you if you've never just said, Jesus, save me. Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. Uh, Jesus, thank you for, for paying for my debt, for dying on the cross and removing that shame and that pain and giving me hope and a new life in your name, empowered by your spirit now to live a new and free life. Then just say, Jesus, save me. And then the next thing we wanna celebrate with you and so stop by the Connect booth or pull me aside after and let me know what God's doing because it's God working. We're just proclaiming, we're just sharing what God has done so that you can receive it. And as believers now, we're gonna take a, 
a minute and pray that the Holy Spirit would remind us, would, would truly open our eyes to see someone we can pray for. As I was preparing this, there's a lot of people in my life who are not here because their faith is on pause. They're not here because they're doubting. They're not here because they, they, were, they were told things about God that weren't true and they don't really want to get to know the real God because they're still confused about the lies. And maybe you have people in your life we can pray for, but maybe the Holy Spirit wants to open your eyes to get to know the real Jesus who has the power and authority to make you new and what he's prepared you to do. And then I'll come back up and close.